This is an ABC podcast. Nissan Bolivinaka, good morning. This is Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. It's Aggie here for your Monday morning in Madawa ni Vosavakaviti. That's right, it is Fijian Language Week reminding us me vaka pulambulantaki, vaka marinketi, ka vaka ngangandotaki na Vosavakaviti, which means nurture, preserve, and sustain the Fijian language, which I think really is a great encouragement for all our languages. So today on the show, many are still confused about the voice campaign. Wouldn't you be if you were never explained as to what it really is? It's a very hard decision. Reason being, nobody came to the islands to explain more about the yes and more about the no. We had American Idol Ian Tongi dropping into the ABC Pacific with his new song. And the flying Fijians' quarterfinal hopes hang in the balance. We'll get the latest on the Rugby World Cup, but all the best to Fiji, who are up against Portugal this morning. All of that coming up later in the show. But again, I'm Aggie Tupou, and this is Pacific Beat. We start in Vanuatu, where new Prime Minister Charles Salwai is vowing to unite the country's divided parliament and to curb political instability. Mr Salwai was voted in as the country's third Prime Minister in just one month after his predecessor was ousted in a no-confidence vote last Friday. Let's take a listen to the Speaker of Vanuatu's parliament, Siole Simeon. Honourable members, uh, vote cast, uh, we we must must become new prime minister. We got 29 votes of the Honorable House people. Uh, pursuant to the provision of the Article 41 of the Constitution of the Republic of Vanuatu, I shall here by declare this sixth day of October 2023, Honorable Salo Salwai Tabimasmas, member of Pentecost constituency duly elected and opposed the Prime Minister of the Republic of Vanuatu. That declaration capped off a heated and at times bitter month in Vanuatu politics. Prime Minister Salwai told ABC's Evan Wasuka he's confident of uniting a divided parliament and he believes legislation could be a way of providing Vanuatu with what many people have been crying for, political stability. Well, after several meetings that I have with... uh the 29 members, including me and the Speaker of uh, Parliament, uh, that are committed to uh, maintain the stability. Well, we we will have to make sure that we the government has to work more closely with the members of Parliament to satisfy some of their demands. Uh, I think most of the time it's uh, uh, that what happened in the in most of cases after formation of the government that we might not listen enough to the members of parliament and or consult uh, with them on some decisions taken by the the government. So as uh, prime minister is going to be. The challenge, and uh, will try to do my best to listen more to all of them, 
including the Council of Ministers. But uh, we we have to consult on every decision to make sure that uh, all the 28 members participate and agree on, on the decision that uh, the government has to take. Prime Minister, we've heard from people who are in Vanuatu who are tired of the instability. How do you intend to deal with this problem? Well, we have uh, some uh, draft legislations already in place that uh, would need uh, more consultation and probably with uh, the local authorities, maybe more consultation with the people to make sure that they understand the purpose of uh, one that we call it the integrated bill. Uh, everyone has to understand and all the political parties have to understand that the purpose of uh, that is um, to find a way to have uh, political stability in the country as uh, uh, it is true that uh, people are fed up with of, uh, changing the government and that together with the people we need to find because we are the one who elect the members of parliament and uh, they have also to agree and that we have the MP that uh, and that, but they need to understand firstly and I think uh, we would need more time to consult on this legislation so that can be a way forward to address uh, the political stability in the country. In a, in a snapshot, how would you, um, how would this legislation work, the, the proposed legislation? Well, first is to legislate on the political parties and uh, the proposed um, bill that this now is to avoid some kind of crossing of law, but we need to check it very carefully that it is not, uh, it must be constitutional, must not go against the constitution, especially on the issue of freedom of movement. So it's uh, something that we, we, we need to, the current government will decide that uh, it should be on the priority on the agenda. Because when we can talk about all the plans, that if we don't have uh, the political stability, it's just a waste of time of planning because all the time government after government running after the numbers running after members of parliament to make sure that uh, we will have a political stability so it even though it is a draft uh, maybe one or two drafts before but we need to combine the two drafts that uh, consultation with the political parties and the members of parliament they need to better understand uh, as you know, that uh, in the constitution also, everyone is eligible to run a re-election. That uh, political party doesn't have any legislation as well. Uh, the other thing that uh, goes, uh, well, the reality of that is that uh, we, we can run in the same party, but all the time it's not a political party that uh, uh, fund the expenses during the election of each candidate. Maybe most of the time we only pay posters and registration uh, fees on, as a candidate because it's uh, becoming very costly 
to run a clear election. So uh, that's why most of the time everyone want, is more interested to go as many sun, uh, have more benefits. And uh, I think it's one of the things that we, we need to reflect and uh, look more into it, how to find some way that it is uh, possible to maintain political stability. The political party integrity bill is one, one of the main things. How to maintain members of, members of the parties uh, in, in the party. Prime Minister, there's 52 MPs in Parliament. Now, I assume there's lots of hurt feelings between the two sides. How will you bridge that divide and bring some unity to Parliament? We'll try to work with the, with, uh, the opposition as well to find a way forward. Because, uh, as you said, we are only 52 members. And we are the ones who are creating this problem in the country that uh, cause suffering and uh, a lot of problems in, 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 in the country. We are vulnerable for, for already uh, on uh, natural disasters. That uh, this kind of political stability is a distress caused by ourselves, especially the 52 members. So it's going to be uh, hard and challenging, but uh, we will try to work with the opposition to find a way forward to address this issue. Otherwise, we it can cause again some political stability, instability, and as always, may lead uh, to the dissolution of parliament and and, and the election cost a lot of money, but um, I don't think my, my, my government will go as far as this. Finally, Prime Minister, I want to ask you about the security pact with Australia. It was a sensitive issue for Ishmael Kalsaka when he was Prime Minister. What's the plan with that pact? Will you push it forward for ratification, or how, how will you deal with it? It's an issue that, uh, again, will need consultation, more consultation with uh, political parties, the Council of Ministers, the political parties, and even the members of parliament. It is very important that everyone be consulted on it. This plus was the case, and we uh, went to the wide consultation uh, to consult the authority on, uh, on the PESA plus. And even today, we, we don't get all the benefits of the PESA plus. Not yet. And uh, is the reason why this issue that we raise on the security pack, uh, it must be an issue of consultation with everyone, especially local authorities and local institutions uh, that have to be uh, clear, understand, uh, understand it before government can decide and before Parliament can pass. And that's Vanuatu's new Prime Minister, Charlotte Salawai, speaking there to ABC's Evan Wasuka. Pacific Beat. 
Get out here and sit down with us. That's the message from Torres Strait Islander Yessi Mosby as Australia prepares to hold a historic referendum. This weekend, the country will vote on whether to recognise its Indigenous peoples in the Constitution and establish a First Nations voice to Parliament. Yessi Mosby lives on Masik Island and he reckons there hasn't been effective local engagement on the ground. You know, personally for me, it's a confusing thing. I'm not saying yes and I'm not saying no, I'm sitting neutral. It's a very hard decision. Um, reason being, nobody nobody came to the island. So, no, like, I'm here on York Island. Nobody came here to explain more about the yes and more about the no. And everybody only listened to what we listen. Social media has the most biggest problem ever. So social media is where most people are getting their information about the voice Every- to parliament. Exactly. Everybody now is listening to, they, they're getting all this information from social media and that's the most reckless platform to pass, you know, a very, very important message across, whether to say yes or no. Noel Pearson, who is one of the prominent Yes campaigners, went to Thursday Island and, and spoke about what the voice to parliament would mean to Torres Strait Islanders when he visited Thursday Island about a month ago. I guess you could say people have been to the Torres Strait to, to campaign. Thursday Island is a totally different island from the other rest, the rest of the Torres Strait. For example, I'll talk very uh, strongly on Masig, York Island, where I'm situated, so or where I reside. It's $550 one way from here to Horn, and coming back is the same. So it's 1,100 return, and it's not including the bus and boat to go over to Thursday Island. Now, there's 270 people here on Masig who, who calls Masig home, and the other islands around Torres Strait has, you know, bigger populations as well, or, or a number of populations. It's, it's easier and cheaper just to send, you know, him flying out and sit with First Nation people and explain why yes is good and, and so forth. Not, not um, just going on over to Thursday Island and um, expect people to pass the words out. And whoever was in there came out to these islands and stuff like that, it's all Chinese whispers. It's totally different of what he was saying in there. Having him coming out here and talk about it, it's, you know, it, it will be much more meaningful, especially to sit with, with our elders, our decision makers, the, the ones like coming from a traditional point of view. Yeah, so you say in Torres Strait Island culture, it's the elders that make the decision for the clan groups. Are the elders as, as, as uh, confused as you at the moment or are they kind of firm in their opinion on which way they'll vote? They're really confused. Reason being, most of our elders, English is their fourth language, third language. English is not their first. And it's totally confusing for them. There's, there's nobody who, who are in the Yes campaign um, as a Torres Strait Islander rep to, for the Yes campaign comes out and even talk in lingo or in our language. Nobody comes out. Nobody did come out and speak. So our elders are left confused. It's very like difficult to get to every community, I guess, is what, what both campaigns would say, yes, in Mosby. But you're saying because people haven't gotten out and sat on the ground, social media is, is the only place you, that you're seeing people turn to looking for, for information. And how fierce is the debate amongst Torres Strait Islanders on social media about whether they should vote yes or no? It's chaos. It's, it's, it, it's a social media war zone within Indigenous people, within islanders against islanders. 
families against families because the other disagrees the other family saying no the other family saying yes and they're being bullies to each other and when you ask them why you say yes give us like an answer of why you say yes why do you agree to say yes they cannot give you a solid answer of why they say yes that it will be a voice for our future generation it gives us the opportunity to for our voices to be heard and stuff like that they they do not know the majority do not understand and even the ones who say no why are you saying no they cannot give you a solid answer of why they saying no me personally i'm just sitting in the neutral boat i'm not saying yes i'm not saying no i'm i'm confused like the elders what would it take to to swing you one way or the other what are the main questions you still have about the voice to parliament that you need answered before you could work out whether you'd vote yes or no well you know that they they only going to pick two representative from the Torres Strait to represent the Torres Strait Torres Strait have five different five different groups which makes the Torres Strait Islanders now within the five different groups we have a lot of tribes we have a lot of clans and it's totally confusing for us as coming from a traditional point of view one tribe cannot speak on behalf of the other one tribe cannot make decisions on the other tribe Torres Strait Islanders cannot make decisions on Aborigines and vice versa. The main model that's being discussed, the Langdon Karma model, which is the, the one that um, you know a lot of people are pointing to, would be that there'd be this national voice to Parliament that would talk directly to the federal government and, and the Parliament, and then there'd be regional and local, regional representatives and local representatives, and they'd feed into the, the bigger voice. But when Noel Pearson went to the Torres Strait, he said that Torres Strait Islanders would choose 16 local voices, one for each island, and that the local voice would be the one that would talk to local council and both the state and federal government about, you know, important things like health, housing, education, etc. If the model's like that, Yessie, is that something you could support? If, if it's like that, yes, I would support. If, if, if we have a representative from each of the islands that they work very closely with the people of Masig, like if there's a representative of Masig, when it's like, you know, if, if it's changed and it says yes, and we have a representative to represent Masig, a wa- another one who represents um, Murray Island, Darnley, Stephen, you know, the rest of the other Torres Strait Island, Buigusai, Baiduan, and that person listens to us, takes our voice, and then move from there now and take our voice into parliament, I would agree. It has to be living here for our voice to be heard much more clear. We do not want somebody to represent and be our voice who lives in Cairns, Brisbane, goodness knows where. Not even Thursday Island would be an ideal place to stay and be the voice of our people outside of the outer island. We need somebody who are from grassroots level, somebody who's from Masig to be voicing our, our concerns in the parliament. And that is Yessie Mosby speaking with ABC's Far North's Adam Stephen. Hold the front page! Uh, yes, it is that time of the morning that we get to take a look at the headlines from across the region. And that's going to be brought to us with our news wrap. It is producer Evan Waisuka. Good morning. How are you doing? Happy Monday, Aggie. Good to be here <laughs> in the studio. Absolutely. Thank you for joining me. Uh, as we head straight into one of our stories, gosh, over the past year, Pacific Beat has been tracking the journey of a Brisbane man uh, who's been attempting to row across the Pacific Ocean. Uh, but unfortunately, that journey seems to have come uh, to an end near Vanuatu. What has happened? That's right, Aggie. So quite, quite a story. 
Tom Robinson from Brisbane. So this 24-year-old, he built a rowboat and he, he attempted to cross the Pacific Ocean. So he started off in Chile in South America and he was planning to row all the way to Queensland. Now, we spoke to him last year when he reached Cook Islands. Uh, and let's, let's have a listen to him uh, back then. Yeah, it's um, it's scary sometimes when the waves are big and and the wind's strong. But uh, the boat's very safe, so I've got a small cabin. I can lock myself inside if the weather is rough. And so there's a few sort of luxuries. There's a little stove to cook my food, and I've got a satellite phone if I need to contact people. And so I've got sort of a few conveniences on board. And um, most of the time, the weather's pretty good, and so I'm able to row all day and sleep at night and get into a routine and rhythm. That's Tom Robinson. He was speaking to Pacific Beat back last year when he was in Cook Islands. So, unfortunately, his journey has come to a stop in Vanuatu. Now, so Vanuatu was the last country he visited, and he had left Vanuatu, and he was uh, about 185 kilometers outside of Vanuatu when he, when he came across problems. Um, so he had to be rescued by a cruise ship. Uh, so the Australian Maritime Safety Authority said uh, a distress beacon from Tom's rowboat was activated on Thursday. Uh, so this P&O Pacific Explorer, this cruise ship, had to make a 200-kilometer detour from its journey to uh, come to uh, to, to uh, Tom Robinson, and they found him standing on the upside-down rowboat um, in the middle of the Pacific Ocean at night. Um, so... They they managed to rescue him. I've seen pictures of uh, Tom Robinson on board the PNL cruise ship. He looks well, and according to reports, he's only suffered from sunburns and dehydration. So, uh, in good spirits uh, after that journey, which has unfortunately come to an end, but not too far from uh, his final destination, which is mm. Queensland. Well, look, alive and well, that is the main thing. So good to hear. Uh, we hit to, uh, where hundreds of Pacific Islanders have been caught out in the latest outbreak uh, of violence in Israel. What's happened there? Yes. So Aggie, you would have seen uh, there's been reports over the, over the weekend about um, rocket attacks in Israel. Uh, uh, up to 250 people have been killed in the violence in Israel. Apparently, uh, there are Pacific Islands over there. So according to multiple media reports, 300 Fijians are there as well as Samoans and Tongans because it's the Feast of the Tab- Tabernacles uh, 2023. That's, that's, that's been happening. Um, so Fiji Village is reporting that the group of around 250-plus Fijians are there. They're safe and in good spirits and are waiting on advice for their return home. Now, Fiji Willis spoke to Manasa Kolivuso, who's there, and he, he was saying that they had to be uh, evacuated into the bomb shelter in the hotel up to six times because of uh, rocket attacks and then outbreaks of violence. So they're in Jerusalem. Um, so we've seen, yeah, like I was saying, a couple of hundred people have been killed so far in attacks, thousands injured. Meanwhile, the Fiji government has put out a statement with Fiji Prime Minister Siti Rambuka uh, expressing condolences over the deaths. Now, he's reiterated that the safety of those 200 Fijian citizens is a priority for the government, and the government is monitoring the situation. Fiji Airways is also reviewing the flight schedules uh, to ensure that they get back uh, to Fiji safely. Yes, I do hope that everybody is safe considering what is happening. Uh, a bit of sports news uh, for the OFC Futsal Nations Cup. That's right. Um, so 
the uh, so New Zealand has won the OFC uh, Nations Cup, which is the big futsal tournament. It defeated New Zealand defeated Tahiti five nil, and will now go on to represent the Oceania region at the 2024 FIFA Futsal World Cup in Uzbekistan. So, uh, despite that big scoreline, it was pretty close match with um, New Zealand only up by one at halftime. In the other matches, in the third place match, Solomon Islands beat Fiji 5-3. For the Solomon's captain, it was a special match because it was his last as a Kurukuru. Um, Elliot Ragamo has played in four World Cups since his debut in 2008. Uh, so, according to Futsal Focus, Ragama, Ragomo also holds the distinction of being the only Pacific player to play in Brazil's elite uh, futsal competition. So, yeah, a, bi- a big, uh, a big game for Solomon Islands, but even an even bigger one for um, New Zealand, which won that uh, competition. Beautiful, I appreciate that. Uh, Evan, thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is your news wrap for Pacific Beat. Hey, this is Nairi. Pacific Break is back. And this year, I'm one of the judges. We're on a mission to find the most talented unsigned artist in the Pacific. So if that sounds like you, send us your original track. You could win an all-expenses-paid, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to perform at Woe Adelaide Festival in Australia. Entries are open now. Head to abc.net.au slash pacificbreak. Welcome back to Pacific Beat. This is your host, Aggie the Ball. Well, whether it's on the floor of the UN climate change talks alongside young Pacific activists or marching for human rights recognition in West Papua, Fijian Reverend James Bugwan has been a constant voice on human rights, climate obligations and the environment. This week, Reverend Bugwan is in Australia, where he's been reminding Australians about their country's obligations to its smaller Pacific neighbours. So with that, he joins us live on the line from Adelaide. With that, I say, Bulavinaka, how are you doing, Reverend? Bulavinaka, Aggie, I'm teared my way away from, myself away from the Fiji-Portugal game for you, so um, I'm happy to be with you this morning. <laughs> I apologise in advance, but uh, I have to ask, how are you doing? I mean, what's the scoreline looking at the moment? Yeah, let's just say my, as usual, my heart is in my throat. Um, I'm trying not to have a coronary, coronary in the corner. Yeah, all good, all good. All go right. Fiji, go. <laughs> we will look after you this morning. Uh, Reverend, I have to ask, so I want to start by asking you about Australia uh, rejoining mm. the UN's Green Climate Fund. Uh, you know, they pulled out uh, back in 2018. So what's your reaction to the rejoining? Well, we, of course, we um, we um, greatly uh, appreciate the, the rejoining of the um, um, the Green Climate Fund. Um, we, we, as the Pacific churches, were quite critical when um, Australia pulled out, um, knowing that they were using um, sort of a more bilateral tactic um, to uh, Pacific Island and uh, Asian countries, um, and it was not nearly enough uh, real commitment um, for our, uh, you know, as as a as a nation that considers itself part of the. Uh, Pacific Vuvale or Pacific Family. So we're looking forward to um, to more discussions and uh, hearing more about what the contribution will actually be from Australia um, at the upcoming uh, Pacific Island Leaders uh, Forum in the Cook Islands um, next month. But at the same time, uh, Pacific Church leaders have made it very, very clear that uh, while funding for um, adaptation 
responding to the impacts of climate change is important, while uh, funding for loss and damage is also very, very important. The number one priority for Pacific countries is the rapid phase-out of fossil fuels. And um, right now, um, Pacific churches uh, um, are really calling for Pacific Island countries, and we can see that happening now, um, coming on board the the call for a uh, global fossil-free treaty. Yeah, as you say, it's good news, right, that Australia is rejoining the GCF. Yet, Australia is one of the two largest exporters of coal and gas in the world. I mean, is there a bit of hypocrisy there or double standard? Well, that's what we're talking about. Um, uh, Earlier this year, in a meeting in the Marshall Islands, um, Pacific Church leaders who travelled to Kiribati and then to the Marshall Islands to uh, see for themselves firsthand the impacts, the ongoing impacts of climate change um, and and other issues like the nuclear testing uh, legacy in the Marshalls. Um, In their statement at the end of their meeting, they basically said that, um, you know, climate finance without the rapid... uh, uh, phasing out of the fossil fuel industry um, is really 30 pieces of silver because you're you're paying for something that uh, you are causing. And so what we need to see really right now, and I think that's quite significant as Australia bids to um, host perhaps COP31, um, that um, there is a commitment to phasing out fossil fuels. Uh, you know, Australia is big enough, uh, as, as I was visiting um, seasonal workers here on, on the weekend, um, driving from Adelaide to Bordertown, I saw some some quite large solar farms. And so, you know, to, to get involved in that renewable energy industry is, is something very significant and, and phasing out um, the fossil fuel industry is, is really what we're asking for. Reverend, like taking all of this into account again, do you think that the Pacific leader should actually support Australia's bid to host COP31? Well, let's let's listen to what the negotiations uh, uh, before COP28. We have the negotiations that will take place um, during the leaders' meeting. Uh, you know, we know that there is significant pressure from the fossil fuel industry here in Australia, um, and that's uh, you know something that's a carry on from the legacy of the previous uh, administration here in Australia. But it really it is time for um, for the Labor government to um, to step up. Well, the other reason that you're here, I believe, uh, you were able to visit some seasonal workers. What was uh, that like? Yeah, um, I mean, I I've been very fortunate. Um, uh, my past few visits to um, to partner up with the Pacific Islands uh, Council of South Australia, um, PCC, the Pacific Conference of Churches, has uh, since two thousand and eighteen made uh, uh, migrant labour a, a very important issue uh, because it affects not only. Pacific Islanders that come to Australia um, to work as seasonal workers or in the longer three to four year, um, you know, unskilled labor program, but also the families that are left behind. And we need to make sure that um, the trade-off is worth it. And so um, um, this um, this weekend, I traveled up to um, to border town on the border between, of course, uh, South Australia and Victoria to, to catch up with uh, some of our Pacific Island uh, workers. Um, have a talk with them, um, you know, listen to how they are, they are coping. And it was really wonderful to see um, the impact they're already having in the local community. Um, I visited, um, after visiting where they work and where they live, visited the state emergency services where 
um, you know, about a dozen or so um, uh, Fijian workers are volunteering there um, as their way of giving back to the community that is their home for the next three to four years, um, visiting faith communities as well that provide pastoral support. So um, I think that's very important. They need, uh, as Pacific Islanders, we, 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 you know, we tend to live and uh, best when we live in community. Um, and um, you know these visits from um, from pastors, uh, such uh, you know, and 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 leaders to come and um, encourage them is is very very important. Reverend, I understand that you know there would be a very close affiliation because we we've had this conversation quite a bit in regards to the history of supplying workers to Australia, right? Uh, if you think about the blackbirding, but also the Fiji with the sugarcane industry, I, I believe that your own grandparents were brought from India to Fiji, right, to work at the sugarcane plantations. Is there a sense sometimes that this could be considered maybe a modern day slavery? Well, um, the Pacific Conference of Churches' uh, engagement on this issue came about after they signed the Modern Slavery Declaration um, and made it part of their work. Over the last um, five years, our thematic uh, or sort of mission statement has come from um, a psalm, Psalm 137, which talks about how do we sing the Lord's song in a strange land. So very much looking at that issue. Yes, uh, I'm a third-generation Fiji Islander. My great-grandparents uh, were brought by the British uh, in the first instance of modern slavery after slavery had been abolished uh, through the indenture system. And prior to that, of course, we know about uh, the um, Pacific labor trade known as blackbirding. And so it's it's always important to understand that for the Pacific, we have a history, we have an, an understanding of what happens when people are treated as commodities. Um, it's really good to see at the moment that um, uh, the Australian government is really looking at the palm scheme, um, taking on uh, concerns that have been raised. Um, and in um, August this year, we had a regional church consultation uh, DFAT was present, uh, representatives of uh, national councils of churches and churches from sending countries uh, also present, as well as representatives from the um, Pacific Island councils of uh, South Australia and Queensland um, and uh, Australian churches also. And so we hope to to uh, look to see how we can uh, develop and implement a, a framework that provides pastoral and practical support uh, particularly in terms of pre-departure, um, as we ensure that our people are well-equipped, uh, really understand what the experience will be like, um, the expenses that they will incur, the, the challenges of being away from uh, from family, um, and, and how uh, we can support them in that space, both Pacific churches and Pacific um, civil society, but also Australian-based, uh, faith-based organizations, churches and civil society groups. Reverend, uh, we just want to say thank you very much for your time this morning. Really appreciate your insight into this and for your trip while you were here. And I do just quickly want to say I think you can have your heart rest at, <laughs> uh, be at peace because it looks like the score at the moment is 17 all. Okay. Well, yes, it's uh, it's going to be a busy week. I know that um, a lot of people here in Australia are preparing for the, or, or already vote, voting on the referendum for The Voice. Um, Pacific churches um, have have called for Pacific diaspora to support that. Mm. Um, and we look to see the outcome and, and, and see how we continue to uh, ensure that a First Nations foreign policy is matched by a First Nations domestic policy as well. Absolutely. Thank you for your time. Again, thank you very much. That is Reverend James Bugwan here on Pacific Beat.
You're listening to Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. Oh, earlier this year, Ian Thongy captivated audiences across the globe with his buttery vocals and lovable character on his way to winning American Idol Season 21. Born and raised in Kahuku, Oahu, also from Samoa and the Kingdom of Tonga, by way of the village's mua on his mother's side and Ha'ateho on his father's side. The Pacific's Johnson Raela caught up with the emerging star as he embarks on a tour of Australia and Aotearoa. Just been crazy. Life's been crazy. Fun. She's having a blast every day. I feel like there's just anything that happens. All the Polynesians just come out and support. And that's what I love about um, our people. You know, just all the support even still today even like even after the shot thought like people are going to forget about me you know what i mean but it's, it's crazy man how do you manage that because people will be sliding into your dms and whatnot how do you manage you know having to look at all your social content mm. and kind of filter through what you re- respond to and and not i don't no i'm kidding <laughs> like, i'm kidding <laughs> i just i just saw uh, because I, I feel like i i almost like i have to like go through to everyone like, cause right after the show, I remember there was so much notifications that my phone overheated. Why? And I like shut off because it just kept ding ding. I didn't know. I didn't know you could turn off the notifications. I remember I was just going through it for like two hours, almost every day, just go through like reply and try to at least hit everyone. You know what I mean? Yeah. During the idol process, I remember in, in the audition you said that your family had to move to Seattle because you were priced out of paradise yeah does this music gig now hopefully mean or maybe is the goal to go back to hawaii oh yeah no yeah for sure i just want to go back home you know what i mean i know seattle's kind of have a has a special place for me now i never really looked at seattle like home until idol because i've always been in seattle so it's like i kind of got tired of it but when i got back home from idol i just Man, I just relax and it's so good. But uh, yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to make my way back to Hawaii. Mm. I've watched so many of your interviews, and people always ask about your dad. And yes, we we, we know that journey about your dad. But I I want to ask about your mum. How important has she been throughout this whole journey? Yeah, she's. Uh, uh, if it wasn't for my mom, I probably wouldn't have auditioned because she signed me up, and. Um, you know, for it's been it was hard for her because after my dad passed away, she was just like would cry in her room after work. She'd come back from work and you know just do the dishes or something and just go to sleep, and we'd all just be in the in our rooms just listening to her cry. Dude. So yeah, it's just the worst. But she's getting better and she's uh yeah she's the main reason why I'm. Her and my dad are the reason why I'm doing music, yeah. Yeah. Well, now you're here in Australia. You're on a tour of Australia and Aotearoa, New Zealand. Why did you want to come all this way? Because <laughs> I just wanted to... I just wanted to come and do, do something different. I've been touring in, in the States. It, it's been fun. Uh, it's been fun touring over here. And also in, in the States, too. But it's just... It's different here. I love it. I love it. 
Yeah. Did you think you'd have many people show up to your shows? Like, I know no, you performed I, the other day and heaps of people just flooded to your stage. Yeah, so I, I went and I thought, like, I just didn't think anyone would, like, pay attention. Or, like, no one would know who I am over here. And then? Because I was on American Idol. <laughs> but I came over here and people were just, yeah, I just, the support. So you like how, how we were talking about before. Mm. Has any of your um, kind of island family down this way kind of reached out and, you know, said, oh, hey? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, just last night I was with my, like, a bunch of my family last night. Nice, nice. What about island food? What's your favorite island food? And- oh, my favorite island food, ooh, uh, I love um, Mui Pipi. Mm-hmm. Uh, really good. Yeah. <laughs> I eat a lot of it. No, mostly because of my dad. My dad's Samoan, so mm-hmm. he eats, like, a lot of uh, Mui Pipi and... Uh, I think maybe my favorite island food. It's kind of hard, but uh, we love it all. Yeah, we love, we love it. All. It's, we love hey, it all. I love it all. Yeah, and yeah, probably like oh, uh, Lu Lu Pulumasima. That's the one. Fire. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Oh man, this is making me hungry, but. <laughs> We, we need to talk about your new track, Wai- yes. Waikiki. It is, it is yep. out now. Waikiki, why you wanna do me like that, Kiki? Why you gotta hurt me so bad, Kiki? Why you got me down on my knees? Waikiki. Um, it sounds like there's a, there's a double meaning to it. Tell us about the yeah, track. Yeah, yeah. Um, the song is called Waikiki. And uh, they listen to it, obviously... Uh, Growing up in uh, on, on Oahu, there's a, a little, uh, like, I think it's like a tour spot, Waikiki. And um, it's, it's like a double meaning, and it's kind of, it's a cool, it's a cool song. The people that I've done it with, genius, man. You guys are smart, man. And um, also, like, about a girl. You know what I mean? Like, why Kiki, why you do me like that? It's, it's, it's like a clever twist on words, I guess, yeah. And that was Ian Tongi talking there to Johnson Rayala. It's been a big weekend at the Rugby World Cup with Samoa Tonga and Fiji currently playing their final pool matches, but only one of those teams appears to be advancing to the quarterfinals. To find out which one, we've got Pacific comedian and rugby reporter James Nogisi on the line live from France. Uh, bonjour. How are you doing, James? Bon- bonsoir. I can't talk right now, man. Just call, call me back in five minutes, okay? We have oh to God. talk because I do understand Fiji and Portugal are up against each other at the moment. So what is the score looking like? <laughs> Look, it is 24-23. It's the 80th minute. This could be it. We could be live right now as Portugal pulls off what the Fijians refer to as a Uruguay. Are you talking about Waikiki? Are we getting Waifiji right now? Well, we, God, yeah, we need to see Fiji obviously cross the line, right? Uh, for them to advance. Look, well, no, no. For though they should. Well, look, they. Sh- I think they're safe. I think they're safe. Yes. Uh, I'll be honest. I'm. I'm. I'm right in there right now. They're not. They're. they're pre- I'm pretty sure they've lost this game. Um, right. But I think. I think they're still safe okay. to get in. Um, so that's. Sometimes Mm. uh, what happens is that um, Pacific Island teams uh, 
qualify for quarterfinal matches and go, you know what, let's just give all of our fans uh, who genetically have issues with heart disease a stroke um, <laughs> right, right off on a Monday morning uh, because it is it is absolute scenes uh, right now in the right. rugby world. Cup. And please bear in mind, for me as a rugby reporter, this is after the Samoa England game. Uh, which, which of course, the uh, Samoa missed out on a historic win, right? How close was that for you to watch? Well, look, uh, missed out is one way of putting it. <laughs> Absolutely robbed uh, is another. I'm, I, I'll just interrupt myself to say that is the official score for Fiji Portugal. Portugal have beaten Fiji. It's an incredible upset. Wow. Um, you know, and you know, for for rugby fans, it's a wonderful moment. For um, Portugal are ranked 16th in, in the world, uh, so they they Fiji are ranked eighth. Um, it's an incredible moment for Portuguese fans, an incredible who are you know right next door to France, an incredible moment for rugby, mm. but. Um, but unfortunately, oh, you're going to need a lot of cover to get over this one. <laughs> well, look, I mean, we were saying that Fiji had only lost to Wales, but now obviously Portugal. Uh, and they even had that impressive win uh, against Australia. But so where does it sit now? How far do you think they can continue from here? Well, I think I think as long as England don't show up wearing mm. red jerseys, that seems to be the <laughs> kryptonite uh, to the Fijian team. Mm. Uh, they just they just got to stay away from playing teams that are wearing red. Mm. Um, it's so. That, but look, uh, England of course won't be um, thrilled because what they were counting on to a degree was to, for Fiji to smash Portugal and get complacent uh, and to be able to capitalize on that. Now, because of the embarrassment of Fiji losing to Portugal. Uh, it's it's very very likely that they are going to spend the week um, once they recover uh, laser focused. So England are going to get a fully prepared Fijian team who are already going to take it seriously, uh, wanting to uh, not just not just advance but to um, bring some honour uh, back uh, after w- what is an embarrassing loss. Mm. Uh, James, I have to talk about, we have to roll this back a little bit because, again, I know mm. you are quite passionate about the uh, loss between Samoa um, up against England. And, uh, look, my social media, full of complaints about the television match official, especially about the disallowed try, which could have put Samoa ahead. Were the critics justified? Yes, actually. Um, in this case, they were. You know, in, in sport, there's always armchair critics. There's always people uh, who will go, oh, it's the refs. Um, what what happened was very unprecedented. So for people who didn't follow the match, Samo scored a try. They took the conversion, and then the TMO um, re-reviewed it, uh, found some new footage which believed overturned the try. Now the law was changed at the very beginning of the year um, to allow for that to happen. So it's very unprecedented. It hasn't happened. Uh, very much, if at all. The England coach was convinced that he'd seen it happen before. Uh, the English captain had not seen it happen before. Um, and for Samoa, who uh, there was uh, that try um, disallowed, another try shortly after where a foot was in touch. Um, but then also towards the end of the game, a 
a few missed infringes from the England team. The Samoan fans I talked to there, um, they, they said they felt like the referees didn't want them uh, to win. Um, and the English fans, uh, to their credit, were quite sheepish um, about uh, what they felt is they got away with beating Samoa. Samoa were clearly uh, the better team on the field. Mm. Look, you're talking about the fans away from the field. You know, what has the crowd been like? How much support has there been for Samoa? Uh, there was quite a bit of support for Samoa yesterday, but uh, with that said, any time you play England in the Northern Hemisphere, this close, uh, for those who don't know, Lille is uh, in Northern France. Um, and so it, the, the Bami Army, as they're known, were out in full force um, and just drowning out uh, noise with their, with their chants and their songs. Um, and they, they really kept England in the match uh, sometimes. It's um, Samoans, for their credit, had plenty of supporters there. There's quite a few Samoan players who uh, are based in France, um, but it, w- it was definitely in the in the minority. What was uh, very thrilling tonight, uh, the the night after uh, Samoa in England match, was that the uh, Tongan team who took on Romania had more supporters than um, I've seen at any other Tongan match so far. James, I have to quickly ask, of course, yes, Donga had beat Romania 45-24. Your assessment on that? I mean, was there any surprises in that game? Romania fought back. Uh, we almost had two Pacific upsets tonight. Romania uh, fought tooth and nail. Uh, what was very fun about the match was that it uh, was kind of like a high school match, really. It was quite messy, a lot of massive hits. Some of the um, tackles from the Tongan team, had the whole crowd just producing oohs and ahs. You, you could hear the slaps. Uh, George Moala was playing his only game of the World Cup because of a suspension before the tournament started, and he, he was the man of the match and played like a man possessed. He was like a human bulldozer at some points. Um, it was a very uh, fun match, I think, is, is a really great way to describe it, and that's uh, Tonga and Romania are both Tier 2 teams. Their, their fans recognize that, recognize sort of a kindred spirit in the, in the way that they are treated by world rugby. Um, and so uh, there were very audacious tries being scored um, and a lot of energy and goodwill amongst uh, the fans and the teams, which you sort of saw afterwards as well. And James, I have to quickly ask, of course, Ikale Tahi coach Dautai Kefo calling it a day. Yeah? Yeah, and he's not quite sure what he's going to uh, do next. He left with some passing words um, about the, the state of um, Tongan rugby. He felt it was positive moving moving forward with the talent, but he reinforced that world rugby does need to, to get involved um, and uh, you know take, take a look at how all the Tier 2 teams are having their matches uh, put up for them. Tonga played fantastic for 80 minutes. James, uh, apologies. I know that uh, you know it has been a bit of a hard morning with Fiji finishing up, but we have to finish up too because it's come to the end of the show. But we appreciate your time this morning. That's all right. I'm going to go recover now. <laughs> no worries. Thank you very much. Again, James Nogi said there. Uh, it's time to say that that brings us to the end of Pacific Beat. We want to acknowledge that Pacific Beat was produced on the lands of the Boonarong and Wurundjeri peoples of the Kulin Nation. Again, I am Aggie Tupou and this is Pacific Beat.